0: Well, I wanna share with you, I, I have an addiction, and, and it's not that kind of addiction, it's, it's addiction to the, to the uh, new show on Fox, The Mass Singer. Does anybody else like that? Man, I tell you what, um, you know, Wednesday comes and, and I have a class, and uh, they think that I need to go home and have dinner, but I end it early so that we can get home and watch The Mass Singer. And, uh, but, but I tell you what, it, it, it's, it's, it's a great show, and if you, uh, anybody watch it, by the way? You are know, like five of us, okay, that's cool, all right. For those of you that don't watch it, you know you need to watch it. I was um, uh, spoiler alert. I was not happy when Terry Bradshaw got voted off. So now you'll have to watch it because you know it's a great show if he's there. But the but this show, is it, it's a great show. It, it, um, the crux of it is the contestants, they wear masks and costumes, so you have no idea who they are. They're like celebrities, they could be like uh, big time athletes, they could be uh, singers, they could be actors and actresses, they could be uh, celebrities on TV, it doesn't matter. You have no idea who they are and they come on every week and they perform songs. And at the end of the night, the one who has the least amount of votes gets voted off, so to speak, but they have to unmask themselves. And it's kind of creepy because, you know, they have to unmask themselves under, under the mantra of, take it off, take it off, take it off. And Patty was in the other room. She's like, Bob, what kind of show are you watching in there? I'm like, well, come on in here. We'll watch it together. Uh, but it, but it, it really is a, is a great show. Now, it's down to the last show. So this Wednesday is the season finale, and I'm, I'm toast because... Thursday the withdrawals begin. I mean, what am I gonna do? There's, but it's sign up for the second season. But you know, I, I, I share that with you because um, what I love about it is that people get to hide behind masks. Um, have you ever worn a mask? You know, Halloween or something like that? And I told somebody recently as I was putting this message again, I said, should I tell the congregation that I, that I like being behind a mask and I like you know, doing like fun things? They're like, they might not get the story right on you on that one, Bob. So they thought that was maybe way too much information. But, but sometimes we wear masks, and, and it's funny, because when you talk to these celebrities and folks on this show, they say that because they're behind a mask, that they can be uninhibited, that they can uh, achieve their hopes and dreams, that they can do whatever it is that they want. They've always wanted to sing, but we're told they were tone deaf, and on this show, they could do that. So it's like a metamorphosis happens. You know, I think uh, when we become followers of Jesus, a metamorphosis happens there, too. And uh, uh, we kind of take off the mask. We take off the mask of what uh, everyday ordinary life is and, and we, we come out of, of not hiding behind all of those pretenses of things that, that hold us back. But in Jesus, there's freedom. And in Jesus, we can uh, uh, be ourselves, and we can uh, love God and we can love each other and we can truly make a difference um, in the world around us. Nicodemus is a, is a story that I love in the Bible, and, and John, John talks to us a little bit about in his gospel about the importance of this um, interaction between Je- Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, um, Nicodemus, is interesting, he comes out in the night. Um, he is a, um, comes out in the night to see Jesus. He's someone who's well-schooled in the faith, He's a Pharisee. He's uh, got a lot of knowledge of religion. He knows how the church works, so to speak. So he knows how every uh, team is supposed to function. And and you know he served on the finance team, and people didn't like him anymore after that. But but he uh, he kind of you know served, and, and he he knew what way the church worked. And he comes out at night because he's searching and he's seeking. And he comes and he he comes out into the night into the darkness to find Jesus. Now. Um, I've come out in the darkness sometimes. I've had like uh, some perplexing or crushing things happening in my life that, that I come out into the darkness to find God because it's got me in such a heavy place or down on, uh, in a well or a place maybe uh, that I don't want to be. So coming out into the, into the light from the darkness is not uncommon. In fact, as Christians, that's what we do. We, we come seeking the light, and that light is, is Jesus Christ. But John tells us this great story, and I wanna share with you the conversation between Nicodemus and with Jesus. Nicodemus says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher uh, who has come from God. So, so Nicodemus knows that Jesus is somebody really, really closely tied to God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that, that you're doing if God were not with them. So Nicodemus is like everyone is. He's hearing the stories of Jesus. He's hearing that Jesus is, is performing miracles. John calls them signs. We see that people are getting their eyesight. Jesus has turned water into wine at a wedding. We see lots of things that are happening. And next, Jesus says, in reply, Jesus declared. So here's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. I tell you the truth, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he or she is born again. Now, it depends upon where in your life and where in church you kind of grew up with those phrases, born again. They're spiritual phrases. But let me tell you where, where Nicodemus is, is learning from Jesus. Nicodemus responds, how can a man be born again when he's old? So Nicodemus is looking at it like this physical metamorphosis. How can I go back into my mother's womb as an adult man, a senior adult man, and come back into the world as, as uh, be, be reborn again? And Jesus answers, I tell you the truth, that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he or she is born by water and the spirit. Say say water and say spirit. Church words again. Where are they? They're, they're simple words, but they're words that have a, a powerful context. Um, they're words that, that give us comfort. They're words of the supernatural. They're, they're like God words that when we think of water and the Spirit, we think of a lot of spiritual things that, that come around that. Oftentimes, it's through the church, that, uh, through church words, that we take a stand on things. Uh, the word justice, we take a stand on justice. The word mercy and acceptance, the word love. Uh, the word, uh, you know, God in Christ. Birth and spirit, they, they remind us that God is doing something in us. That when we must be born by water and spirit, that God is doing something. And it reminds us of that, of that time when Jesus says that, that God takes something that's the tiniest of seeds, I think he called it a mustard seed. And he said that, that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest seed that's ever been created by God then we can look at whatever is holding us back in our life and we can say, Move, and it will move. Water, spirit, and faith. But what does Jesus mean when he looks at Nicodemus? And, and he says, Nicodemus, you must be born by water and spirit. More importantly, um, what does that mean to us that we must be born by water and spirit? You know, maybe, uh, maybe the Apostle Paul. Maybe Paul can give us a hand this morning to put it in context. Paul is sending yet another letter to a struggling church. Paul is the, is the apostle. Apostle means church planter. And Paul has planted churches in the lower regions of Palestine. And he is trying to get the Christian church to move ahead as followers of the way, followers of Jesus. And Paul has launched churches But yet every church that he's launched, there seems to be a problem. There's a problem with this newfound doctrine. There's a new problem with who's in and who's out. There's this new problem of, you know, what can we and can't we do? There's this new problem of, is there just one God or are there many gods? So Paul is constantly wrestling with all of these questions in and outside of the church. And he sends a letter to the church in Corinth. And, and the crowds of people are gathering, and it was in Corinth that, that there in Rome both that they had this challenge of, of how many gods and is there one and all of these things. And, and Paul says, wait a minute. He says, there's something that we need to know that when you are in the one God, the great things will happen. And Paul writes it this way. He says, if anyone is in Christ, He or she is a new creation. So when we are in Jesus, when Jesus is in us, we can't help to not be the same of what we were. we were something new. Something has happened. The old is gone, the new has come. The mask that we've been hiding behind has been taken off. We are now a new creation in Christ. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born through the Spirit. And Paul puts it into this context. Paul says that even before you know Jesus is in you, even before you know who Jesus is, Jesus has claimed you. To you catch that? Even before you know God, God knows you. Even before you profess your faith, Christ lives in you. And Paul says, but when we discover what that means, the Spirit unveils its identity to us, and it's in that moment that we feel the freedom to accept this new thing that God is doing in us. He then writes, all this is from God who who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men and women's sins against them. That's powerful stuff. God is constantly reconciling with us. And what that means is, is that the person that I was yesterday, uh, the bad choices that I made, God is reconciling that, saying, Bob, you have a new start. The choices that you've made today that aren't the holiest of choices, aren't the right choices, that aren't the choices that bring joy to the heart of God or your family or to this earth, God is reconciling you. And God is saying, you have a new start, that I shall take what you are, and I will move and make something good out of that. And that's important for us to understand when we think about this. Reconciliation is, um, is, is one of those really important words that I think that we Christians embrace. I think for a lot of us, Christians will say, well, it's the cross, and it says, I'm not discounting that. The cross is very important. But reconciliation is, Reconciliation not only is a vertical relationship that we have with God, but reconciliation is a horizontal relationship we have with each other. So when you think about when we reconcile with God and with each other, we are living into the cross. Powerful things that we see. You know, today is Confirmation Sunday. It's a um, it's a great day for our students and and uh, for our uh, student leaders. You know, Allison Van Dyne and 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 all of our student leadership team and and through uh, Bobby's guidance as our senior director of ministry um, and Pastor Pam and I, we've had chances to to come and and to sit with these young people and and to not pound facts and figures and statistics of of Christian faith and Methodism in their heads, but to try and somehow. Get into the mind of a middle schooler? Wow, but, um, but somehow try to open the door, so to speak, to allow them to understand that God loves them and that they have a huge, a huge life left before them. You know, this class has been unique. A lot of testosterone. Chloe's the only female in the group. Chloe, I feel your pain. This group was inquisitive. They had great questions. They, uh, they didn't hold back and, and it was unbridled and that's what I love about their spirit, uh, discovering those moments of their faith exploration and just the um, uniqueness of who they are. Now, my wife Patty, um, she, uh, she teaches middle school language arts and, and um, I don't know how she does it. I just interfaced a couple of hours with, with these folks, and, and by the time I was done, I was drained because all the questions that they had, great questions, I'm not picking on them, but I kind of came away going like, can I breathe now? I mean, this, is, this has been intense, but what I loved about it was, was uh, the conversations that went from new apps on their phones to some YouTube video that they saw, oh, let's talk about Jesus, and then they offered something else, and it was like hurting cats, not just hurting cats, but hurting cats with their tails on fire, But it came back around. It always came back around, and I would kind of give them that, you know, pastor eyebrow look, and they would, they would, you serious? We got to take this serious, and they did. John Wesley, who's the founder of the Methodist movement, Wesley was a um, an ordained Anglican priest. Uh, which meant that, that he was uh, answered a call uh, by God to be a priest in the Anglican church. He preached on Sundays, he led prayers, he held worship services, he visited the sick, he gave to the poor, he administered the sacraments, and for most of his life as a priest, growing up in the house of a priest, because his father was a priest, his mother Susanna was extremely religious. Wesley said halfway through his life as an ordained priest, I don't know who God is. Wow. Think about that. That's why we have confirmation. So that we can create a space so that these young minds can ask the questions that maybe they're not sure they can ask their parents or maybe they're not sure they can ask They're teachers, or maybe they're not sure they can ask each other, but there's strength in numbers and they can ask, and some great things happen from there. Wesley, later in life, was at a Bible study on Aldersgate Street, and he was studying the Book of Romans. Martin Luther, the great reformer, had written um, some notes on that, and Wesley was reading those, and it was at that moment that Wesley said, at that moment I realized that not only did Christ die for the sins of the world, but Jesus even died for me. And Wesley then uh, murmured the words that made who he was. He said, it was at that moment that I felt that my heart was strangely warmed. Has God warmed your heart? Didn't it feel great when when God's in your heart and you're full? You know, as we've been on this journey, um, a couple of things I want to say, you know. uh, This group of students... It's not just the future, they're the now. You know, we, we've kinda gotta make sure that we're understanding, when we talk about our young folks, our youth, let's just use that term, that's not, we always say the youth are our future, the youth, no, the youth are now, they're the now. So, so we engage with our students and we engage with their ideas, we engage with their struggles, we engage through teaching and love, and we engage through our leading to bring them closer to Christ because they are the church of today in addition to the church of the future. And let me say this specifically to these students. Don't let anyone ever tell you you're too young to tell somebody about the faith that you have. I know many of you are in middle school and in various ages, but don't let anyone ever look at you and say, you know, you're too young to talk about God to me, or you're too young to share Jesus. You're not. In fact, I've learned so much more about my faith through you these last couple of weeks, and I appreciate that. Because through laughter and through inquisitiveness and, and in struggle in finding the answers, you all have taught me that I need to be reminded every day that I've gotta ask those deeper questions and not just be you know, superficial with things. So this group is a, is a powerful group. Paul um, had Timothy. Uh, Timothy was not Paul's um, biological son but he was Paul's spiritual son. And Paul said to Timothy that at this moment, as you are being commissioned to go into the world, as I'm sending you out there, Timothy, I want you to remember a few things. And here's what Paul said. Paul said, and I'm saying these to you all, get the word out, teach all things, and don't let anyone put you down because you're young. Teach believers with your life. And what that means is don't just tell people why you believe what you believe, but let them see how you live your life by word, by demeanor, by love, by faith, by integrity, and that special gift of ministry that you were given when the church leaders laid hands on you, which we're going to do in a little bit, and prayed over you. I love what it says here. Keep that dusted off and in use. Always remember your confirmation. Always remember what it was like to journey with these other students to ask those questions, to discover what the love of God is, and to come in your own mind and to make that decision. Paul says that that we are to take confirmation of Jesus as a transformational process, and, and we lend into that. that so, so this is you're being transformed today. And, and, and Paul says, whatever you do in your faith, don't be idle. Develop it and deploy it. And he says this: you will always be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And today, we confirm that in you.